Are you looking for the best tips and tricks to run a successful dental practice? You're in the right place. Welcome to Bulletproof Dental Practice, interviewing some of today's most successful dentists with your hosts, Dr. Peter Bolden and Dr. Craig Spoda. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Bulletproof Dental Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dr. Craig Spodak. I've also got Dr. Peter Bolden and a very, very good friend of mine, wonderful inspiration to dentistry, Mr. Fred Joyle. Uh, really good to have you here, Fred. Uh, great to be here with you, Peter. Um, yes, of course. Fred, Thanks, this man. is um, such an honor to have you on this uh, program because, as you know, every time I see you, I tell you that you, I credit you with all the formative ideas for my own dental practice. When I read your first book, uh, Everything is Marketing, back in 2009, I dreamt about my future dental practice. And uh, you really set off those fine distinctions of looking at dentistry in a whole new light and that everything that we do is part of our marketing plan, not just the magazine ad, everything from the way the, the office looks, uh, sounds, smells, and feels. It's all part of our perceived value. And I want to thank you for what you've done for dentistry, what you've done for me personally, and what you've done for the profession. So just an absolute honor to have you here, Fred. So thank you for spending this time with us. Thanks. Well, uh, you inspire me to keep writing and keep learning and expanding my ability to communicate these very important messages to dentists because you've taken it and run with it. But a lot of dentists are still struggling with the basic ideas about having to promote or having to effectively market their practice. And those are two different things, as we know. But they're still struggling with promoting it, never mind doing all the other stuff that creates that experience for the patient. And that's what I'm all about in, in terms of what I'm trying to teach doctors is the, the experience is, is how they're judging you. Yeah, and it's so it's funny because every dentist that I talk to is just thinking if they just got a little better in their clinical expertise, if they could just do a little bit better right. of a margin or they could just access the third and fourth canal in that molar that some or right. buy a new scanner then, or something. Then, right? well, I get like my certification, certification from Dawson or Panky. That's when the patient gates are going to, the floodgates are going to open. They don't even think about they got to work on the branding and the positioning and how the culture of their office. People actually often oftentimes say, I don't really have an office culture. Like, it's mine is pretty business like. Well, you have I've, one. I've, <laughs> you have one. I don't he, believe everyone has that one. stuff. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, you cannot believe in it, but it's still going to be true. Yeah. The consumer is still going to behave exactly the way they behave, whether you believe they do or not. You know, you can still believe not. you're not round. You know, you yeah. can absolutely believe that. But, you know, when you get on a boat, you're going to have some problems. So, uh, and it's, it's that, that same struggle of, of this is they've been told that, I think, in dental school that it's the most important thing is to develop your clinical skills and it is important of course you're a you're a surgeon absolutely but that's not the, you know the when you talk about margins and stuff like that go read Yelp read a thousand reviews of dentists on Yelp see if anybody says the word margin okay. <laughs> so that's not how they're assessing the practice it's unfortunate, really, because I know so many clinically amazing dentists. And these guys, if it was truly, if your success was based on your clinical skill, 
you, you know, there'd be guys out there that'd be freaking rock stars. And there's guys going out of business or selling off to one of the big chains just because they can't run the dental practice. They can't run the business aspect of dentistry. It's really sad, actually. Yeah. And they, you know, and what they do, what do they do? They sign up for another course. They, yeah. You know, you see them at the, at the, the conventions. They go to the clinic. They avoid the marketing and practice management courses and all of that stuff. And they go, I, I, I got to go find out about sleep. You know, it's like, yeah, find out about sleep dentistry, but then you got to tell people that you do it and talk <laughs> to them today. It's like, but that, that's, they don't learn that part. They learn the yeah. clinical side and hope somebody asks. You know? And, and it, it's interesting you mentioned that because it's true. What, what dentists are oftentimes doing is diversifying their offering. So sleep, Botox, uh, who knows, tire fricking rotations, whatever. They're yeah, figuring, how can I yeah. sell more? But if you actually built better relationships with your team, if you built better relationships with your patients, you don't have to have accessory services. You'd be wildly successful if you just diagnosed the existing patients you had and built good relationships. You're, you, you don't need to present with more options necessarily. You just might have to have a better connection with them. It's an interesting dynamic. You made me think of that. I have a, a, a friend of mine who's a dentist in the south side of Chicago. And I mean, his practice is bereft of new equipment would be the best way to put it. I mean, if, if you went back into 1978, his office would be perfect. And <laughs> but he does a million dollars a year in that practice because in his neighborhood, when somebody treats you with respect, it's a really unusual experience. Okay. So they love him and he does a lot of extractions. He does uh, a, a lot of uh, triage work, but you know, he's open Friday night till nine o'clock at night because he says, if I don't open on Friday night, they don't come in on Saturday. You know, so that, you know, if I say, I'll see you in the morning, mm -hmm. they don't show up. But if I, he says, so I, I show up at one o'clock on Friday and I work till nine. And yeah. he says, and I've done it for years. And he says, and these people, everybody says they're broke. They don't, they only they don't want to take care of their teeth. He said, they become lifelong patients. And he said, and I, my rule of thumb is, is a good patient that you treat well, that comes to you new from advertising in particular is going to get you five new patients. He says, my average is 15 to 20 patients that over, over, over time refer from that one person. So it, 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 he totally gets it's how he treats people. What's the yeah. experience of walking in that practice by how everybody treats him? It's nice to have, I mean, and I think it, he could really use a better looking place and new technology, but he's doing great and he's taking care of his neighborhood. Yeah, get, you know, I follow very Gary V on uh, Instagram and he had this really funny post. He's like, I have this breakthrough marketing strategy for everyone out there. Care. Just care. Like, imagine that. Like, take care of people and care. That's a brilliant marketing strategy. And this guy gets it. Yeah. He's, that, he's not, deep down, that's what's true, is he genuinely cares about his patient. Yeah. And he also is conforming, I think, to whether he knows it or not, the, the new economy, which is, you know, you know, a lot of people are open and you have to come to me. Like he's basically saying, I'm open extended hours to for your benefit, you know, like Amazon now and Uber, like, you know, the, the economy is shifting for for the easy button aspect. And 
that dentist, know it or not, he's actually accommodating people to make it, you know, the new economy, which is centered around the patient experience. Well, and, and customer experience. Another C word is convenience. I mean, that that in certain right. areas of the country can be your only marketing strategy. Just be incredibly convenient to get into. Get, make sure that somebody can get in there. There's always a hygienist that can see somebody. There's always a chair where you can put somebody. There's always hours that conform to the way that neighborhood works. I mean, you may find when you open Saturdays that you live in a neighborhood of soccer moms and they're not coming on Saturday, okay? Or you may be, be a bunch of blue collar right. people or a bunch of, you know, five day a week people that they can't get out of their job and they will they will pack your Saturday. They'll pack it from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. And so you have to test that out, but you have to find out what's convenient for your 10 mile radius uh, or in Wyoming, your 100 mile radius. Um, but that's that's convenience is such a powerful marketing strategy. It, my, the best example I have is these two two graduates came right out of UOP in California, University of the Pacific, opened up a practice in North Beach, San Francisco. OK, fairly competitive area. They opened seven to seven, five days a week, Tuesday through Saturday. She worked uh, seven to one. He worked one to seven. So they worked the 30 hour week chair side. That's all they did for marketing. Within a year, there was a startup practice. Within a year, the schedule was full, yep. just because they were convenient, and they didn't. Wow. They didn't work crazy hours. And I bet they weren't. Yeah. You know, they they've shifted their weekend to Sunday Monday, which you do that kind of good because they, they were just different, working, right? And that, Monday they, off. They were different. <laughs> the golf course is wide open, and every other thing is easy to get to. Well, Craig, I don't know if you knew this, but I've never been open months. So when I opened my practice, you know, way back when I said, all right, dentists have a four day week, but it seems like everyone's open Monday through Thursday. And I noticed in the beginning that I had a lot of cancellations on Monday because, you know, the week starts and people flip out and, you know, what can give? Oh, I canceled the dentist. So we shifted, you know, and we actually have only been open from Tuesday to Friday for you know, the better half of 15 years now. And Friday is our day that like is huge. Everyone wants and craves Friday. So, um, you know, kind of, kind of aligned with what you're saying, Fred, with, with the other example you gave, it's just being, being a little bit different. Um, something well, that's real big fruits. Doing something different is a great strategy because it's like you can't solve the problem of Monday morning, the schedule falling apart because of the weekend by calling people Monday morning, okay? So the idea of, right. hey, abandon Monday because what's happening is all sorts of stuff has happened over the weekend that they can't get a hold of you about. And it, all, all it takes is three or four people to blow your schedule apart on Monday morning to, to put you off your, your revenue for the day and plunge you into chaos. And we know that and more than that can happen. So just get the heck out of Monday and give you, you know, give them Monday to rearrange your Tuesday and you're way better off. You know, what's interesting is what I'm, what, while you guys are talking and I'm, um, it, it's, it's a blinding flash to the obvious here, but business used to be about the business. And now there's a shift in the consciousness of the consumer. That's why United has caused such a shitstorm. United is like, we're doing it our way. This is our policy. And we're going to like literally beat the crap out of you and drag us off your plane. 
And Uber is like, how do we make it better for people? And the dentists that are always obsessed with adding the value to the consumer, to their patient, should I get Sarah? Should I be open the weekend? Should I, should I, you know, call them after I give them a shot? Those are the guys who are really killing it versus the guys that are like, let me make it about me. Let me make it about my margin and my panky and my Dawson. That's, I'm not discrediting any of those wonderful institutions because I'm a big fan of that. But it's not about you. Don't get obsessed with you. Be obsessed with your patient and adding value to them. Dentistry, we're a little, we're taught about us. So I went to Harvard. I went to Tufts. I learned this. I do the chow technique. I do that technique. And the messaging is wrong. It's landing on them. It's landing the consumer wrong. The consumer of today won't have that anymore. It's all great what you know, but I don't care. What, what's in it for me? And that's more prevalent now than ever. So, well, let's go back to, the, to some things we really need to talk about. Um, and that, and the, and there's the difference between a, a traditional general physician's practice and a dentist practice in the title of my first book, which is everything is marketing because that the whole premise of that is everything that that patient experiences in the practice, everything they see, touch, taste, hear, and smell affects case acceptance. Nothing is neutral that happens in that because we're not rational human beings, okay? We don't make our decisions. We, we come up with rational explanations for the decisions we make, but most of our decisions are not made that rationally. There's all these subconscious, unconscious drivers, biases, and, and do we trust this doctor? Do we, do we believe this doctor? Uh, does this doctor care about me? All of those things. If you don't trust the doctor, it doesn't matter how much pain you're in, you're gonna go, I, I gotta go to somebody else. Because I don't trust what he what he said he's going to do or what she's going to do, and so. But let's go to that that key point of what is the difference in this economic model in the dental practice versus a general physician, and this is what many dentists are still clinging to a belief that oh I, I'm in healthcare that's it and it's this is I'm a surgeon they come to me for their surgery they should be grateful that I have this facility where that I can give them such pain and discomfort to get them back to normal um, and that's not the business that you're in because it has a, a, a different aspect in regular medicine there's so many things and, and I boil it down to this this concept of extraction the baseline care that solves the problem in dentistry, unlike most of other healthcare, is extraction. If you have a broken finger, you're not going to cut it off, okay? But you've got a problem with a tooth, you can pull it out. You've got 28 more, even after, you know, if your wisdom teeth are out. So people don't look at that as a big a problem. And if that's the case, then what does that mean for your business? It means there's all of these tiers of treatment from baseline, not great, to ideal. And, and the patient's appreciation of that comes by the experience of the practice. By do they, do they trust you? Do they actually value their teeth as much as their, you know, Nissan, you know? And so that, that, that change has to happen in the office by the experience and behavior of everybody and by the communication of everybody, not by the clinical skills. You know, I think skills is 10%. I sadly, I think that's what it is. And most dentists think it's 95. 
Well, the good thing is the dentists believe it's 95, at least the dentists are valuing their clinical skills. So at least we know that our profession is still focused on that. But I have a case in point of that exact phenomena happening. So we're a multi-doctor practice in my office. And one patient came in and said, listen, how much is a cleaning? What, what does my insurance cover? And in my office, we have doctors that are in network and out of network. So she went to the dentist thinking, I only want to be in network. I only want to pay. Well, I only want the free cleaning. I don't want to spend any more money, blah, 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 blah. She starts asking a couple of questions about her teeth. And the dentist that was seeing her said, well, you know, went right to her insurance, brought it up first. And the patient's like, look, I don't have any money. I have nothing, blah, 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 blah winds up just saying, we, we have a prosthodontist here. Would you like to at least meet him? He can talk to you about your smile. He can talk about what we can do. You collapsed. You have a lot of wear. Uh, make a long story short, she wound up coming up with like $35,000 miraculously in one hour and fixing all of her teeth. So it, it's not even... That's good when you're broke. Because yeah, I completely broke. coming up with 35Gs and I'm not broke. Right, but, but how many times do we walk in a store and we tell the clerk, I'm just browsing? You're not browsing. You didn't get in your car to drive to the mall and go browse the iStore. Well, the iStore, you have to find someone to help you, but in other stores where yeah. it's, uh, you know, you're, we're not just looking, but that's our default because we don't want to be sold. We want to buy, but we never want to be sold. And, and, sell, and buying is a value proposition, just like you're yeah. saying. It's why people like doing so much stuff online is that they feel like they're in control of the decision. And that's a really important lesson because we're dealing with millennials who are were raised on uh, in, in an online world and their behavior, their default behavior is I control the higher entire process of purchasing and decision making about it. And that's why mm -hmm. reviews are so important about in dentistry now, because they're controlling that decision to trust you based a lot on what they read about you, not what you just you say about yourself. And it, but also you're you're trying to get them to that point where they do feel in control of making the decision by the way you communicate with them. And and that's a that's a shit's hard for a lot of doctors to shift into. And, and this, know, I'm just learning it ourselves at 800 Dentists. We're learning that more, less and less people actually want to talk to us and call 1-800-DENTIST. They want to decide it all online themselves. Mm -hmm. So we have to find a different way to feed the information to them to say this is the right match for you or to give them the resources to make that decision themselves. And that's really where we're going is a consumer who's in control. Yeah. So just aid them in the process. It's, it's incredible. But I, I would figure... Your book was written eight years ago. So I figure, and that's why I mentioned before the podcast, I'm like, do you think this is still relevant? But when I walk, when I go around lecturing on my own and I give them your concept of dentistry as retail and everything beyond an extraction is an upsell, like, oh, that's, you know, they, it, it doesn't sit well with them. It almost bothers their identity as a doctor. It's interesting that we're still having to work on this message and still beating this drum to get dentists to believe that. I know, Peter, you, you got it. I was copying Peter. Peter, you know, I watched Peter build Atlanta Dental Spa probably the first time I, I was aware of him, like five or six years ago. I'm like, I gotta, I'm gonna copy this dude. This guy's got it going on. He's got a Google tour of his office. The place looks like a spa. He's got, you know, all the different amenities of the spa. It looks great. So I brought it to my marketing people, my design team. I'm like, watch this dude. And funny enough, you know, Fred, you might not know the story, but Peter was doing the same with what I did. So we were kind of uh, emulating each other and vibing off each other. He's like, hey, hope this doesn't sound weird, but I'm kind of cyber-stalking you. I'm like, hey, man, been cyber-stalking you too. So well, it was, uh, You know, it, what's interesting, one of the, to me, the most 
telling examples about how consumers behave uh, based on in, uh, the experience and the environment is every dentist I've ever talked to that remodeled their reception found that their own patients started spending more money. Not not new patients who like the place. Their own it. patients went, hey, and th their production on, on regular patients increased because of reception. Nothing clinical, nothing actually be in the in near the suite at all. But that's, that. that's such a, a, an interesting example. It's It just breaks it down and says, People respond to these things even though they don't know that's what they're doing. Right, but also it might not be the patient only. Sorry to cut you, Peter. But how does the team feel that you remodeled the experience, the the, the reception? So there's so many variables to it. It's not it's not just about your patient. It's about the team. And Peter and I were on a podcast with a um, the other week with a, a builder. And I was citing this. Uh, I don't know if I brought it up at the time, but I want to bring it up now. But TD Bank did a long term I did bring it up yes you did yeah 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 it's good though so TD Bank did this it's, it's um, study because some of the branches are lead certified you know having a lot of daylight and some of the branches are not lead certified and they they took the branches and they kind of uh, eliminated the variable of different socioeconomic and demographic factors factors but the one branch uh, the branches that are lead certified get like 40% higher deposits than the non lead certified branches so daylight has an effect on where you want to spend and leave your money who would <laughs> you know and if you think about where dental practices are mostly they're in strip malls next to the dry cleaner next to quiznos so there are long bowling alleys where the reception mm -hmm. has daylight and maybe the back door at the very where your where your employee staff lounge is but we're not even employing daylight into our designs, whereas cancer centers and, and hospitals, I mean, geez, the hospitals around here are like palatial. They look like hotels. It's incredible. And so much of the design in the, in the interior, you know, predicts how that person is going to feel when they walk in the door. And I remember even my first office that I ever built, like I didn't really know what I was doing by any means. And so I didn't know how to design, but I didn't, I knew I didn't want to give it to someone who was just going to put in a functional square grid. But I had a feng shui, you know, I knew back in the time when feng shui was the hot thing, like, hey, that's the thing that makes people feel good. So I'm going to, you know, have a feng shui consultant. And, you know, I think people, um, you know, if you put them in a better mood, they're more they're more amenable to accepting treatment. You know, every, like you said, Craig, all, all boats that the, the team is happier, the patients are happier, all boats kind of rising. Um, well, so, and that's, that so, yeah, leads that's, me to, you know, to talk to you more, Peter, about the, the the experience that your staff your team is giving the patient because it, you can't do it alone you you know you got a got no a hundred percent I can't I, I'm actually the, the smallest you know I'm just I'm just a cog in, in the same wheel as everybody else like I, I have no more clout in that experience than anyone else and it's funny we, we keep talking about experience for so my company as Craig alluded to is called Atlanta Dental Spa but um, in our byline, we used to, you know, we practiced something called complete health dentistry, which, you know, was a, a next level practice thing. And that was kind of the byline of the, in the logo itself, right? It said Atlanta Health Spa, complete health dentistry. But I went back, like you said, and started looking at all the reviews and what people were saying. And almost every review said, this is a dental experience. This is a dental experience. 
So now it says Atlanta Dental Spa, the dental experience. So I've changed even my logo and marketing around the fact that this is where the economy is going. This is where the millennials are. You know, everyone puts an emphasis on the experience, not so much going back, you know, yes, you gotta, you gotta have the chops clinically to back it up. You do, you can't, you can't be a hack and, and just offer great experience, but you have, you have the chops clinically, then, then, you know, you can, you can, you can deliver the experience and the whole package. And I think that's, what's going to be our competing factor against corporate entities and the way that everyone's so scared now of dentistry evolving. They, Craig and I've always said like they, you can't compete on a corporate level on a macro level, right? Craig, we kind of say you can't compete on a macro level that what the experience that we can deliver. And on that's, a micro that's level. where your new book. Yeah. Well, one of the things that, yeah, let's, let's get to that. But one of the things would you said, Hey, I know some C plus clinicians who are killing it, who are, who are just because they know, I mean, you, you see them like you'll see a patient of theirs and you go like, who did your veneers? But you're asking it as, as evenly as possible. And in your mind, you're going, who the hell did your veneers? Right. And they go like, yeah. you got to meet him. He's amazing. You're like, it's just a little esophagus. <laughs> you know, you got, they're like, you know, a centimeter longer than they should be or something like that. <laughs> they don't care. They love this doctor so much. You know, I mean, that's, that's more proof. Mr. Ed Ceramics. It is right? about, the, you right. can create that experience. And the, and the patient doesn't know better. So, but so, mm-hmm. so this is yep. the, the second book that I wrote after five years. And I realized how much the, the consumer's behavior was evolving was becoming remarkable because I think that's the kind of experience we're trying to risk, strive for is a, the patient leaves unable to not brag about the practice. They have to remark about how wonderful this dental experience was. And it, 90% of it is non-clinical. Some of it is clinical in that the technology, when properly explained to them that it's what you got it to make their experience easier and better and more comfortable, that's about the experience. So from that standpoint, it's clinical yeah. and how you use that. But it's, you know, I know guys who've been a CERC machine for five years and they've never explained to the patients that they have it, never mind why or what the benefit is to the patient. The patient just goes, oh, we're done. Yeah, you're done. I don't have to come back. No. Like, just just the greatest really? wow in dentistry is you don't have to come back and pull off the temporary and... Um, you know, at the same, and, and, and they're just, they're not even, they're not bragging about it. They're not. Oh, but, but you what know, what you hear all the time is, oh, but my patients don't mind coming back a second visit. My patients don't mind. My patients don't, you know, my patients don't mind impressions. They don't mind. No, I give a good shot, you know, that's <laughs> that. Yeah. yeah. Or really, that they lining up like the new iPhone came out to get a shot, uh, you know, in front of your office, because I don't think you give that good a shot. <laughs> Depends on what comes with it. Yeah. So, um, and and but but all it, it's that's what what your mind should be on is like how how do I tell this patient that this is for their benefit so that they do have something to talk yeah. about? Um, you know, that's the problem with with not understanding you're in retail is if you if you're afraid to raise the value in the patient's mind. Of their dentistry, they don't have anything to talk about. They haven't had an amazing experience, and they haven't been fully restored. They they they've been 
they've done low maintenance on their team. So, Fred, what what portion do you think of that? Is is that some people are just uncomfortable having? Not that they're not unwilling or they don't know, but they're just uncomfortable having those conversations of communicating like the patient benefited verbiage or way. Like, what would you say? You know, some dentists are just just uncomfortable. Then, socially, then get somebody you know? who is. I mean, that in in reality. You only have to be good clinically as the dentist, and if then that's all you want, then shut up and and wrap these amazing people mm-hmm. around you. Have a have a, a you know have somebody do case presentations for you. Have have just remarkably personable hygienists who can't resist upselling dentistry. Like no, you got to think about this. You got to do that. You know, the, Dr. Bold may not mention this, but every patient I know that does this is so happy when they do that you've got to ask them about it that's what you just find those people if if you're if you're a, a, a social uh, you know you're socially uncomfortable i do i was going to say a social spaz but that but <laughs> i was waiting for that bad. it's just like I, I i i can't get to that point you don't have to get to that point get somebody and pay them really well because they will make you very successful no, you won't. You won't like alter your personality radically, but you should be assessing the personalities around you to cover all your weaknesses. I do the same thing in my business. I, I'm. I have tremendous leadership and management and organizational strengths, and tremendous organizational and management weaknesses. Except for those weaknesses, I got somebody really good handling it, and they just tell me, "No, this is how we're doing it." And I go, oh, good. That's, I'm glad you got that covered. And I think that's hard for the profession as a whole, Greg. I think we talked about this previously is that there's, I don't know, because dentistry is kind of you practice on an island, so to speak, or your own, your own, you know, practicing on an island. You know, we're not in a group setting or some of us aren't. And so it gets to be a place where you kind of just keep depending on yourself. And so it's hard for us to admit like, oh, wait, I have a shortcoming in one aspect of dentistry. And. And that may be communication or it may be this, but like, just like you said, surrounding yourself by people who can fortify your weaknesses are, is, is key, but you got to be self-aware, you know, like self-awareness well, and, and is huge. Many times they're self-aware clinically. Like I know dentists who go like, I'm not, I'm not doing root canal. I am never going to do root canal therapy ever. And I know, I know GPs who love it. It's like, you know, the, the patient has to be in real right. trouble for them to send it to an endo. Uh, and they get good at it. But so right. they got to just look at it the same way. It's like nobody's great at everything. Okay, uh, if you do everything, you're probably average at everything and good at thing. Jack yeah. of all trades, master of so, none. Yeah, you're, it, that's essentially it. It's very hard to be a master of several dimensions of a practice and several clinical dimensions as well as experiential dimensions. Well, let's talk about the office culture. You know, it, one of my favorite uh, TV shows was The Office, you know, and th- that whole yeah. paradigm of how no one is telling the boss anything. And the boss is like, okay, we're doing a great job. And he's like, good, you know, and everybody's like, what a jackass. And I think, you know, obviously that's a comedic example, but I do believe I see some dentists, because when I lecture and I talk to dentists, I go to the website, it's like some dude with like six chicks. He's like, this is my crew. This is my, yeah. you know, it's yeah. this very chauvinistic or maybe it's a different dynamic that can exist in certain dental practices where the doctor or dentist owner is basically telling all the team like great idea but where the hell did you go to dental school Sally 
You know, yeah. like I went to dental school. I did this. I, my training is that. So don't tell me that we shouldn't, uh, you know, w- when a new patient, don't tell me we should give them, you know, sunglasses or chapstick. Like I, I know how to run this practice. So it's not that they're just self, not self-aware, but they're not creating the space for improvement. You have to create space. What When you want to grow a larger organization, and kudos to you, Peter, for, for being completely, you know, mostly absent physically and still having it thrive, because that's the true definition of a business. If you don't, if your business is making time and money for you, that's a business. If you just work really hard and it makes money because you put in more time, that's not really a business. That's a job. And most of us dentists have really good jobs, but not businesses. But in order to do that, you have to create space for people to grow around you. So if you are that social, you know, socially inept dentist, you've got to create space. You've got to tell your team, like, what are some things I do all the time that I just should stop doing altogether? Like, what, how am I getting in my own way? And they'll tell you, but you got to create that freedom for them to let them aware of that, uh, to make it, to make you aware of that. Significantly, Google has done years of research on how to build teams and how to hire people and how to make teams work together. And and they had this thing called the Aristotle Project, which they totally abandoned because they couldn't find the attributes. They said there are no attributes that make somebody uh, the right person for a team. But what they found is what there's, there's a right person based on how they work together on the team. Um, and the number one thing is the thing that you mentioned. Is it safe to bring up ideas? Is it, is it safe to make mistakes? And, and that they found that mm-hmm. makes when people believe that that's true, the second most important thing is that they can depend on each other to do what they're supposed to do. And that's really, you can imagine how important that is with just six or eight people in a dental practice. But it has to be safe to say, what if we try this? Or what if, what if we stop doing this? Or, geez, doctor, I really wish you hadn't said that to the patient. Or if you want to know, you know, the hygienist says, if you want to know why she didn't accept that, that case that you presented, it's because before you knew it, you were saying $12,000 and they were still trying to sort out which tooth needed work. And, 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 and yep. the dentist has got to be humble enough you know, ego is a, is a very worthless thing. It's a great protective Killer. device to make you feel good about yourself, but it's absolutely worthless and even detrimental in business. The only way you get better is when you park your ego. I mean, I just took a course in, in, public, in how to improve my public speaking, and because I don't get any, anything that helps me when I speak public. They, people come up to me and say, that was great. I learned amazing stuff. You were wonderful. Insight. That was inspiring, stuff like that. Wonderful to hear. Totally unhelpful in terms of improving me as a public speaker. So I went to this guy, and he just ripped me apart for four hours straight. And it was like, oh, there we go. You know, now I can get better because I, can, I can't see what I'm doing wrong. But he's skilled at going, don't do that. Try this. Do this better. Do this more. Shorten that. You do the, what, what, What's with that? And, it, and I was like, I can be better. I want to be twice as good next year. And my audience is never going to help Craig, me. Craig, think about this. For, what if, I mean, I'm, I'm, what you're saying right now, I'm, I'm loving, I think that it actually transcends for into dentistry too. Craig, what would you think if like public speaking was actually a course mandatory in dental school? 
Like, think about that for a second. Like, that's, that's, I see some new grads coming out and they stumble so much upon the verbiage and communication. They may be great clinically, but they can't dumb it down. Not dumb it down, but they can't, they can't put it in granular pieces. Yeah, it's, it's a very, it's a very top line engineering conversation that the patient's like, what are you talking about? And it's, it's such a, there's no connection whatsoever. So, like, I actually have an associate that started, and he's great, he's a great clinical dentist, but I, he said, what do I need to improve on? I said, you need to go to a public speaking course, um, you know, simply, and, and, and study body language and neurolinguistics and stuff like that, because, you know, he, he just, he, his career won't catapult until he kind of understands where people are coming from, or get down to, get down to you know, the consumer yeah, I level when, education. When, when I think about public speaking, it's very different from just communication and rapport 101. So I think that we try on roles. The new graduate is like, I'm a doctor. Let me put on my white coat. I'm going to speak doctor. But yet he goes home and he, you know, or he talks on the phone with his friends and it's a different rapport. So I, when I talk to a patient, automatically I'm already pre-framing like, let me help this person. Let me help them. There's not one time uh-huh. I could ever remember in 20 years of practicing where I ever walked into a room like, let me close this guy. Let me get him to buy. I tell people. But no, that's in no. your DNA. Like, that's well, just the way you were built. And therefore, that's well, why you've no, been it's, super it's successful. It's not because I'm very focused right? on my mission. My mission, I, I crafted my mission to help patients. So I walk into a room. I was like, hey man, this is a, you know, or, you know, maybe it's hey man or maybe Mrs. Jones or whatever. I don't want to make it seem like I don't give respect to the patient. But what I'm focused on is you've got a problem. It's not manifesting to you right now, but within five to 10 years, things are going to get bad. And I don't, I want to prevent that future pain from happening. So don't leave here thinking I'm like trying to sell you in a bunch of stuff, but I'm here to tell you you're not optimally healthy and over time it's going to raise its ugly head and you have to spend more money and more dollars. So dentistry, we focus on getting people optimally well. In medicine, they're like, get the hell out of my office, you're not sick. If any three of us went to a medical doctor right now, they'd be like, Fred, what are you talking about, dude? You got like 8% body fat, get out of here. You know, I got a guy in the waiting room dying and you say to your doctor, yes, I know I'm not sick, but I want to get even better. Well, dude, I don't do that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's not well care. It's sick care, not well care. I'm getting you unsick. (laughs) Dentistry is focusing about getting you optimally healthy, at least if you're doing it right. So our job as providers is to look at it that way. All, all we do is create, is educate people. If we educate people successfully and tell them the consequences either for or against their decisions, then they sell themselves. That's it. So public speaking is like, for me, is like getting up on a stage and influencing. This is micro influence. This is like. Well, I meant being comfortable in a conversation is, is all, is all I meant because, you know, you are, your DNA, you're totally an outgoing person. Like you're an extrovert. You get supercharged by being around people. Someone like me, I have a problem, you know, I'm a little more introverted and I get kind of drained by people, you know, so I have to go kind of on stage when I'm clinically because I, you know, my preference is to hang out by myself and read a book kind of thing. And you like to be around, like, yeah. you know, so it, it's more natural and organic for you to be, to come from that place. Yeah. And so that's, that's what I was saying is that not, not everyone has that same. Um, I just think if you center standpoint. yourself towards your mission. I think it's it's really important to you know we hundred percent there. I agree with that hundred percent. I think that's I think everyone should do that, and I do the same thing like you. But I think it yeah. just comes easier to some some folks, and that's what I was getting at. How cool would it be if it become it, that became an emphasis in the education well, process? Back to something I talk about in, in 
becoming remarkable is that for since medicine began and and on into the future for as long as I can imagine they are going to they're going to accept treatment based on your trustworthiness and their perception of the value of dentistry both things are perception that are built unconsciously and subconsciously as much as anything else and that's why the whole environment has to do it you can't do it alone but as as the dentist or as as somebody whoever's presenting the case um, or who's the treatment coordinator or whatever there are speaking skills listen more than you talk watch their body language response empathize with the position that they're in which is how anxious are they are they anxious so anxious about what this is going to cost that they've gone deaf basically and their cognitive skills have plummeted and so it's like you've got to build that trust and say look you're not going to die if you don't do this i'm the guy that's trying to get you to look at this long term because that's my job it is my professional responsibility to tell you the direction that this is going to go so that you make the best decisions for yourself those kind of things build trust and when when you're trying to build value you can't, you're not going to leap somebody from who just wants an extraction to an implant necessarily if you've got tremendous i mean some people radiate some people appear totally trustworthy and they engender trust and they're not trustworthy at all it's just something about them right they they got pheromones or something coming out of them and make them like that but most people it's a whole process of building that trust and gradually building that value and appreciation of dentistry now that that woman that came in that you were talking about that that suddenly decides to spend $35,000 all of a sudden, the, the, the environment built the value of dentistry and the trust that she felt because people were just talking to her. She was in control of all of those decisions, right? Back to this how do millennials behave thing. You created this environment where they felt like they could trust you because they were in control and you cared about them, not about money. I, can't, I could say that a thousand times in a lecture and it wouldn't be enough. They need to believe they care. You care about mm -hmm. them more than money, because as soon as it flips, there is no trust. Doesn't matter what you say. Doesn't matter how brilliantly you say it and how true it is if they don't trust you. So that's what that's what you're trying to build these perceptions about yourself. And the, the more they're true, the more you don't care about money and care about the patient, the easier it is. Right. But, but that's but, what I was referring I, to. Hey, you and you can drift into that as a dentist. 20, 25 years into it, it can become about money. You've got a heck of a lifestyle you're trying to maintain and somewhere, you know, subconsciously you built this, you know, I, I got to bang out $8,000 worth of dentistry today kind of thing. And, yeah. uh, and, and it bleeds mm -hmm. through. It uh, does. And people then, can smell it. Yeah. And people oh. can sense that, that people, I mean, obviously, you know, People, people are very intuitive to, 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 to feeling that, you know, in, in some kind of sixth sense. Um, so, yeah, I agree. That's that's fantastic advice. If you, if you come with the wrong motivation, yeah. you're, you're dead in the wall. Yeah, yeah what do they say? Desperation stinks or whatever? Or no, desperate salespeople smell bad or oh, I don't even know. Yeah. That. Well, that's good. Let's uh, go with that one. Desperate uh, people uh, smell bad. And, and now we live in a world <laughs> where if, if that, that's their experience, they're going to go transmit that experience into a, a permanent infrastructure on the internet where yeah. it's likable and searchable and undeletable 
Um, and so you have to be keenly aware that, that this reputation of yours is being built whether you like it or not. Not just and, your reputation, but your brand, like Peter said. Peter yeah. changed his tagline based on the, the digestion of his brand proposition. It was regurgitated back to him. Like, yeah. Okay, I guess uh, I guess I'm not the happy place where smiles are created. I'm the experience. I'm the dental experience. That's you know. So we're learning, and and I mean, yeah. And we and we gear everything in our morning meetings around that. Like, how can we bring value in the experience to these patients today? You know, and so it's it's a constant uh, compass for us. And you know, you, we have to be we're very intentional and purposeful about it. And I think if you're not, then it doesn't happen by just coincidence. Right. Like, you, you know, that kind of thing. So I knew that that was very important going forward. If, you know, going back to talking about corporate com- competition, it, that'd be important for me um, as a differentiating factor. Yeah, and, and, you so, know, this, this just triggers a whole different thing for me because you're, you're starting to talk about the morning meetings and, and the team. And one of the things that I learned as a business person, and I try to transmit this to every dentist because it's the thing we're all poor at, relatively speaking, or, or inadequate at, is expressing appreciation. Uh, and it's the most powerful motivator for an employee, particularly in a job where they're not likely to get promoted. I mean, in a dental practice, you can be the best hygienist. Mm-hmm. You're never going to be promoted to dentist, no matter how good you are. Uh, and so appreciation matters even more where there's a, there's a fixed hierarchy that's going to sort of stay that way. For that person, they're going to be an assistant, maybe with expanded functions beyond it. That's as far as they're going in that that category, um, you know. And somebody may ascend to office manager from uh, front desk or something like that. But that's that's like one jump up. So when when people know that you appreciate what they do, you almost can't do it enough. I mean, this is I I force myself to. I'm terrible at that. Not terrible, but I, I, you, you saying that is hitting a chord with me, Fred, because I, I would love to be more conscious of that. Cause I think it in my head of how, how appreciative I am of my team and the people that, you know, help have made me successful and the company successful. You know, we call it the triple win. Like everyone gets to win, but I don't verbalize it enough, but I think it. And so, I, you know, you're hitting a chord with me of like, I'm thinking to myself, Pete, ask him how to how to be more intentional with, with that kind I, of thing. My exercise that I put out to people in my lectures now is for the next week, express appreciation to everybody you encounter in your day to an absurd level. From the barista at Starbucks to the, the guy that parked your car to your kid to your spouse to you to everybody that you work with. Just do it so it feels ridiculous how much you're doing it. And, and but does that will no, that be I mean, not authentic? Like I would worry that people be like, I see right through that. Because what you're doing is resisting it. You're well, doing of course, but like, there's an expression that's saying uh, uh, having uh, feeling gratitude without expressing it is like wrapping a present and not delivering it. Okay, yeah. that's what you're doing. Um, you wow. feel it, you think it, and you don't say it. Okay, yeah. so all I'm saying is say the act, say real mm-hmm. appreciation. You know, like I, I'll go back and I'll take one sip of my Starbucks and I'll go back and I'll, I'll go up to him and they're going, oh, no, he's going to complain about the drink. And I'll go like best one I've had all week. It makes their whole day, you know, and I'm That's not awesome. lying. 
I'm just I'm just letting it out. No. And what that's my point is do it to uh, it'll be hard to do. You won't actually do it to an absurd level. And at the end of the week, gauge it and say, wow, that was probably just about right. (laughs) You know, that's about how much appreciation I should be expressing, because what's going to happen is you're going to see the reaction and you're going to go. What am I being so stingy with this appreciation for when it yeah. has such an impact? That's a big Tony thing, too, by the way, Fred. Fred, always, uh, Tony always says, trade your expectations for appreciations and life will miraculously change. He talks about rewiring your brain. Our brain is a two million year old. Trade your expectations Wait, say that again, for appreciations and your life will be dramatically different. Tony says your brain is this two billion year old organ that's always looking for what's wrong. It's what keeps us alive. It was historically meant to look for the freaking bear that's about to kill us. So your brain is always scanning the environment for what's wrong. The brain's job is to keep you alive. Your, your own job is to make you happy. So without conscious effort of trying to cultivate appreciation and happiness, the default is to find out what's wrong. It's a survival instinct. It's programmed into us. Well, that, that one concept awesome. of, of that's, moving that's from expectation to appreciation, when I heard Tony say that, that was, that was my biggest, first and biggest aha moment with him. It was like, yes, that's where I bungled it for 55 years. Um, and and it, it did. It changed everything for me. So, that's awesome. And I mean, uh, look at the, the, the lesson with your father, too. What an amazing story. Amazing story. Did that just out of curiosity? And I don't know if we have time to go into that. But that letter you wrote appreciating him, was that after hearing Tony's thing or before? It was actually, no, it was way before. Um, but, it, but it was, you know, it was, my dad died in 81. But at the same time, even though I did it at that moment, um, it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't, there's you know, something about what somebody, when, when the teacher finally says it, in a way that you go in, in a simple and clear way and you it, it, like your brain just goes there it is yeah it's that, when the student is ready the teacher arrives yeah it's loud too and, yeah yeah and so the, you know i have been doing it sporadically it's just it's just the same things we're talking about it's like when you do these things in your office and and the patient knows you care and they suddenly respond you go like oh okay they're responding to me caring. They're not responding to my brilliant case presentation. They go, hey, look, Dr. Spodak, if you think I should do this, then, then uh, help me figure out how to do it. Because yeah. there's like, when somebody cares yeah. about you, 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 you're gonna trust them. Because yeah. it's not, a, it's, it's about them. That's awesome. So, I have to say, it's been a game-changing talk for me. Just um, like you, you know, just like you said, the light bulb moment. Like I just, I kind of had one. So like, I'm gonna remember this this talk and this podcast because I I'm gonna pivot from here for sure because it's a uh, you know something just went off with me at 41 year, years of age. You know, and and um, well, so thank you for that, Fred. I'm gonna I'm gonna attribute the pivot 20 uh, years from now back to you. you know, well, the, the farther off course we go, the harder it is to correct. You know, the bigger the distance to correct. So the sooner. My yeah. wife will definitely appreciate that that you yeah. that you gave that so, course well, correction. Yeah, it's true, <laughs> uh, and it, it's it's one of those things where it's it's hard to do too much appreciation. It really feels like, and you you went right to the default thinking. It was like I, it's gonna seem inauthentic or I'll, I'll seem like a phony. It's like. The people I know that express appreciation and are incredibly positive all the time, nobody goes, what a phony. 
They just go, right. I like being around that person, right. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, I, I, I and I'm, I, you know, my life skill was sarcasm for many, many years. Okay. And it's, that is not a, a that, that doesn't engender care and, and make people feel like they're appreciated. Okay. But it is funny as hell, man. Well, that's the thing. That's the problem. Yeah, you gotta you gotta measure this funny and appreciation <laughs> continuum because I mean, someone's got the funniest it. people I know are complete dicks. It's really you gotta have a little bit of both. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm I I I I've learned to work both sides of the street. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but 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 you know I I I just my goal every day is is the people encounter I encounter I want to make them feel better about themselves in some way. Um, and, 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 and because they move up, they jump up. So, well, in keeping with that, Fred, I, I, I don't think I ever see you without telling you how much you've personally helped me and, and helped dentistry. And, and I want to thank you for all the, um, myriad of benefits you've given to our profession because it's not just me. It's everybody. Every time I mention you and, and talk to colleagues, you have such a positive, um, impact you've made such a positive impact in the profession what a wonderful profession what a great use of your talents and skills that you that you gave it to us and i want to point out to the listening audience your books are even though you know one was written eight years ago just as relevant if not more relevant in the context of what's going on with like united airlines and you've got to really think of your your brand and your business as it exists to serve people the business doesn't serve you you serve your people, and then through that, money will show up as a lagging indicator. The leading indicator is your team, are your people, are your patients happy? That's all you got to worry about, and the books are so relevant. So yeah. I got your website open at goaskfred.com. You can still buy both those books there. I recommend reading both. If you haven't read them, you must. And I also saw, which is nice, if you buy 10, you get a discount. So I've given your book, Everything is Marketing, to my facial plastic surgeon friends. I gave it to a guy that runs a mortgage business. And I, I told you before, if you just hot swap the word uh, patient for customer and dentist for business owner, you could be a best-selling uh, author in many other categories as well. So Yeah, well, I appreciate that. And of course, yeah, goaskfred.com is the best place to buy the hardcover. And, and use my name, Fred Joyle, in all caps, and the books will be $10 shipped. That's the discount code I want to put oh, out wow. here. Okay, uh, good. I had to pay 20 for nice. mine, Fred. Where were you when I needed to buy it? I'll give you a free one they make up for it next time I see you. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but it's also on Kindle if you're, if you're a digital reader, and uh, both books are also on Audible. And uh, everything is marketing, even though it's nice. eight years old, was revised uh, – Four times, so the last revision was three and a half years ago. Yeah, uh, wonderful, wonderful books, Peter. If you haven't read no. them, I highly suggest you do. It's, they're awesome. Yeah, you'll love them. You'll love them, and they're entertaining as 100%. well. So it's not a, and it's applicable for everything we're talking about right now. It was a real game changer for me, man. I read it. My daughter was a newborn. My seven-year-old daughter. I remember sitting on the hammock. I didn't know Fred at the time, but I was Facebook friends with him, and I, I, I tagged him. And, uh, and it just blew, it just blew my mind. I walked in through the front door of my existing office at the time and I was like, wow, if everything is marketing, I am really sending out the wrong goddamn message here. Like, <laughs> my marketing message is not what I want. So 
Yeah. So I, I credit you, Fred. And I, I think when we were walking around my office, I'm like, dude, these are your fingerprints on my office. You know, you were the seed that stimulated the thought. So keep doing the good work you're doing for our profession. And we appreciate as dentists, even if we're not skilled at showing our appreciation, I'm speaking on behalf of our profession for you. That's really why I brought it up is I want you guys to express your appreciation every day to me. Uh, I will. I'll continue. <laughs> you're a big deal, Fred. Some monetary form. Uh, right. Uh, no, thank you very much, Craig. I appreciate it, and I and I love seeing how how much you've run with with everything that I talk about, and and shown that when you do this, it does get this result. Because I I think I I've met many dentists over the years who said that I've never even talked to, and they just went got your book. I was I was hit a wall. I was struggling with the recession and everything. And now, like every every year, I go up ten percent because of this, and I'm still trying to figure out what to do. Some people read the books and they go, they they get excited because they're doing half the things in the book. They go like, "All right, we're on track, but we can do this and this and this and this," you know. So um, that's kind of what it's meant to do, uh, and it's meant to be readable. It's meant for the teams to read it so that they're all literally and figuratively on the same page. Because that's the way everybody has to be. Everybody has to be pulling in the same direction in the practice. And so, thank you for that. And I, you know, it's very gratifying for me that that the books are working and and that this message is getting out there. So, th and thanks for giving me this chance to talk to you guys about this some more because it's very exciting for me to to see the change that's happening in dentistry. Well, you're awesome, Fred. Man, really appreciate you being generous with your time and. Letting us pick your brain and share with the listening audience, it's uh, tremendously beneficial. Thank you. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks so much for listening to Bulletproof Dental Practice with your hosts, Dr. Peter Bolden and Dr. Craig Spodak. Online at BulletproofDentalPractice.com. We'll catch you next time.